And let us pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> well, at, the, um, at the gym where I work out, and I actually do work out, I, I really don't look like I should be saying that sentence, but um, where, where I go to work out, there are messages on the wall and on the equipment that appeal to some deeper need. They don't, they don't just have signs that say very practical messages like, you know, work out, get strong, uh, it's cheaper to stay healthy. It's, it's, not, it's not that obvious. So the, the signs that they uh, have, one of them reads, you belong. This is in giant letters up on the wall, and it says, you belong. They're appealing to some deeper need. And the reason you can belong at this place, this is kind of like a, a gym for non-gym goers. And so you're welcome here because you will not be judged. This is the, known as the judgment-free zone. And therefore, again, it's appealing to a deeper need. We can belong because we won't be judged. I think it's great marketing because it's, uh, it appeals to senses that are beyond just the very practical. And if I, if I were doing the marketing, I probably would say, work out, get strong. I, you know, I would I'd just have to state the obvious or something. But there, but there are better marketers than me, and so they're, they're beyond that, and they're appealing to a very popular notion today in the sense that no one likes to be judged. Now, I don't think there was ever a time in history that anybody liked to be judged or condemned for their thoughts. But um, as we discussed in this same sermon in the preceding verses, we talked about what I called the uh, maybe America's favorite verse at this point, where it is, do not judge, lest you be judged. So even non-Christians, there are all kinds of church people, there are all kinds of non-Christians who know that verse and abuse it, and and they don't really... Uh, they don't try to interpret it in its context. They pull it right out of context and then have it protect them so that they can do what they want to do. And we learned last week when we talked about those uh, verses that, and that, that very verse that Jesus is not talking about you're not to judge anything, you're not to have discernment, but you're not to have a condemning spirit. You're not to be judgmental. He's, he's condemning judgmentalism. Um, we learn that those who are judgmental um, tend to see sins in other people more so than themselves. So they, they're kind of blinded to their own sin, but have some perfect vision for seeing it and, and identifying it uh, in others, and then, and then pronouncing it in others. Judgmental people are also self-righteous and self-superior as they look down their noses on those who don't perform as they think they should. Judging or condemning them for their sins. So, and then judgmental people are hypocritical, they're negative, and they're without mercy. So hanging out with judgmental people, and unfortunately, the church is known for judging in this way. And now, and, and then if you're, if you're caught up in some 
what are popularized, we're all, we're all caught up in sin. We're all caught up in sin to some degree, some way, some form, some shape. But if you're caught up in a, what becomes now almost a political movement, then you have a uh, angst against the church because you understand the church to be condemning and judgmental, very hypocritical and negative. And we, the church, are portrayed that way, whether we really are or not. But to check our hearts, to see whether we are, we ask the question, do you look at other people and condemn them or hold them to like their former sins or their formal, former sin life in their past? Or do you see them with hopes for the future as Jesus would see them, for what they may become in Christ? A judgmental person is really not a true disciple of Christ. A judgmental person might not be a true Christian. I think that where James later talks about how the uh, how difficult it is to tame the tongue, and we're going to talk about that, but he talks about that and talking about how with it we're, we, we bless and curse, I, th- I, I, I think it's quite possible to be judgmental at times and still be a Christian, but I do raise the question, if somebody is primarily judgmental, are they? Are you a Christian? Have you tasted of that sweet grace that Jesus brings? So Jesus condemns judgmentalism, and at the same time, he calls his disciples to a life of judgment or discernment in order to navigate through life. So how do we l- learn to live a life of discernment. Well, first we're going to see judgment is commended. So, as a po- and again, if just a revisit to uh, last week in one point, and the actual word for judgment is also rendered to make a decision, um, to have a preference. So, throughout throughout the biblical text, it in in that verse it may say judge in other places it may be translated as prefer prefer or or make a decision and so the the lord doesn't tell us just to never make any decision he's condemning a judgmental spirit so then to cap this off in this section he's explaining how we are to judge we are to we are to lead a life that is that is one of judging. We're one. It's one of discernment. So, judgment is commended. Um, in the previous verses, judgmentalism is condemned, and these verses, judgment is is commended. So, verse forty three says, "For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes." nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. So you're going you're to know a tree by the kind of fruit it's producing. It's, a, it's a, an agricultural analogy that's very simple and plain. So what is it that makes a good person? How do you know a good tree? What, would, a, would a good tree produce bad fruit? And we, we have a common phrase about the bad apples. Uh, would, a, would a good tree produce bad apples? Well, no apples are, the good apples are going to come from a good tree. 
I have a I have a rental house, and in that in its yard, it has two apple trees, and one is, in my opinion, a bad apple tree, and one is a good apple tree. And I I say they're good and bad, and I make these judgments because when I pull the apples off and I take a bite of them, one is nasty and the other one's good. And I think if I shared, you know, if you're in the yard with me and I shared those same apples with you, I think you'd probably have the same judgment as I do. But this bad tree is producing those bad apples, and it's not going to change and produce the good apples. It's really a different kind of tree altogether. So we need to understand initially here that internal disposition determines our external fruit. So one, one may try to look good on the surface, and many people do this. We, do, we all do this to some degree, um, and we, really don't, we don't really want everybody to see us totally how we always are all the time. I mean, even today, we get at least cleaned up to come to church and put on our decent clothes. But there's a sense in which people will do what they understand as good, or at least culturally accepted as good or culturally deemed as good, but um, as they try to lead that life, they can't really keep it up 100% of the time, and so the good, they, they may look good from a distance, but up close, um, they simply don't have the, the, the heart of Jesus, and their, their, their actions will betray them, their life will betray them. And uh, eventually, they're going to show who they truly are. Well, the next thing we see is that we are judged by our words. We will be judged by our words. In verse 45, it says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, the heart, what, what's inside of a person, is going to produce what's coming out of them and how they live their life. When we were in uh, Gishanga, we visited with a couple who um, lived in a house which had been the original home of the church, our, our sister church in Gishanga. This the, had originally met in this house. Now there's a couple living in this house. And they had a story to tell about experiencing that transforming grace of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death. They, they now live changed lives. This man, by his own account, um, drank too much. He wasn't married to the woman who he lived with. And um, he cussed a lot. He had very coarse language. And in fact, his, his language was so coarse that one really couldn't imagine him delivering a sentence without a few choice words in them. And as time went by through the ministry of the church and Pastor Ephraim, uh, he received the, the, the grace of the Lord and he was changed from the inside out. This man is now, uh, he, he doesn't drink. He's married to this woman who he did live with. They are married. And, uh, and, he, and he speaks without having to insert his cuss words all the time. So um, his, the evidence of his changed life is from the, the, his outward actions, but those outward actions came from an inward change. 
James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So James talks about how if we're truly changed on the inside, it's going to show on the outside by what we say. So we're going to be judged by our words. When Christ ultimately judges us, he's going to judge us by our words. Jesus, in other places, teaches on knowing a tree by its fruit. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, this is while he's teaching to Pharisees, he says, I tell you, on, that, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, or and by your words you will be condemned. So that's the reality for final judgment. But while here on earth, we are to employ as disciples of Jesus that same sort of judgment. We're able, we are to be able to judge and discern the words of man, the words of people. And we can do this, and we're, we must do this, when it comes to judging one's doctrine, one's morals, or one's heart. And we're going to do that by judging words. But because we have received grace, by His grace, we are to be always judging, but never judgmental. So we're always to be discerning. So... How should we then judge? Well, first, we should judge humbly. A a disciple has a disposition of humility. And this goes back to um, an earlier piece of the same sermon with the log and the splinter. And that concept there is that the disciple is to examine his own life. So we, we examine our own life. It's not that we don't help the brother or sister remove the splinter from their eye. It's not that we don't point out sin, but we do that from a position of being very humble. It's a a, a humbling thing to understand our position before a holy God. And so we're aware of our sin and our brokenness. And we reach out as if, if we're going to make a judging call we do this with great humility. And we know that our, even our hearts are deceitful above all things. So it says in Jeremiah. So it's not that just because we think something, we must be right. So we're going to be very humble as we approach this. We should be very merciful. The Bible says that no one is good. No, not one. Yet we received mercy by not getting what we deserve As Christ took our punishment, we deal with others generously as we would like to be treated, as he also talked about in the same, very same sermon. As, uh, and, and we would like to be treated would probably reflect how we have been treated by Christ himself, who while we were enemies, died and gave himself for us. So if, if we're willing to lay our lives down for the good of our brother or sister, uh, or even the unbeliever, because we are going to be merciful as we're going to be judging, as, as we're going to, 
have discernment, we're going to be humble. We're going to be merciful. Even in this same sermon, Jesus says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's in verse 36. And then next, we're going to be biblical. God has revealed himself in his word, so we can know him and some of his attributes very clearly. He's, he's given, us, given us instruction to guide our life. Um, we have these biblical principles in which we are to employ in our lives. The more we know his word, the more we will know his will. The more we know his word, the more we will know his will. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So the scriptures, according to the scriptures, are what we need to help us gain wisdom that James, as we read James a little bit ago, that wisdom from above is going to come through the Holy Spirit, yes, through the Word of God, yes, and through the community of faith in which God has put us. When we get to see the church being the church, when we get to see another believer living out difficult times and trials and making difficult decisions as they go along in life, we gain wisdom, and it's wisdom from above that James was speaking of. So there are many things in the Bible that give us clear direction, and there are other situations that, are, that will arise that the Bible doesn't speak directly to. And this is, uh, this is true. So we, 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 know, we, we can understand that if... Um, you know, there, there are a great big laundry list of things that are, are bad, and, and we can read those. You know, we're not, we're not to be drunkards. Uh, we're, we're to be sexually pure. The list can go very long of the things that are very, very clear about what we should or shouldn't be doing. There are situations in life as you're navigating life and you're trying to discern life, the, discern these decisions in life, that... Um, Maybe the Bible doesn't make so clear, but even in those cases, I just want a word of caution here. We must be careful not to make secondary things main things. Yet at the same time, we must not fall into the trap of looking so narrowly for a bi- the Bible to speak directly to the situation that we miss greater themes. And, and what I... There are, there are great big themes under which we are already even discerning what it is we're reading. And those are very helpful for us to understand. And if we're looking for a specific Bible verse that's going to guide us through decision-making, we may not find that. So because people don't find that sometimes, then they find that that must be a license to do what it is they want to do anyway. For instance, when it comes to the same-sex marriage, um, whatever I was going to say, a debate. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's a debate. Uh, but I guess in the world it is. For us, it's not. Um, but people will say, since Jesus didn't say anything specifically condemning same-sex marriage, then it can't be that bad, anyway. But the reality is, is Jesus himself, as well as many other places in the Bible, including the whole of the Bible, give us a very clear and accurate description, and Jesus affirmed 
the God's intention and purposes for marriage between a man and a woman. Jesus did do that. Now, and, and we get into trouble when we're in this, when we're narrowing things down, and then the red letters. Y'all heard about being red letter Christians? Y'all need to be red letter Christians. Do what Jesus said to do. Well, yet what about the black letters? They matter too. And what we would understand is that it is all God's word. And to hold Jesus' words above the black letters, it confuses what we have in our hands anyway. So the Bible gives us understanding and even about this concept of what is marriage and is it between a man and a woman. And I think the whole Bible from the beginning to the end would show that, it's, that that's what it is. And so we're looking, if you narrow your scope and hone in, we can say, well, he didn't condemn it, therefore. And, it, and if you want to do that, I think we could get by with lots of things. There are lots of things that Jesus didn't take the time to condemn. I think there are some things that because, I, I run into this all the time with our kids. You know, our kids are grown and out of the house. But occasionally you run into these things where you're watching TV or, or you see things and there's a new wave of something happening. Um, we were talking about air conditioning earlier before the service, and I heard of somebody uh, having problems refilling their air conditioner and keeping their air conditioner up to speed because uh, people would come by and somehow do something with the Freon out of the air conditioning to get, like, snorted or whatever, to get high off the Freon out of the air conditioning. A nurse says yes. An ER nurse says yes. I'm like, what? Okay, never thought to tell my kids, don't do that. And, you, and you, when, you, when it comes to that, you know, you're thinking, what did I tell my kids to do and what did I tell them not to do? And my list continues to grow in those things that it never occurred to me to tell them not to do. So, and occasionally, still, we, have a, we kind of have a family text message thing that we go to and share news and information. And occasionally, when I run into things like that, oh, by the way, kids, don't, whatever, <laughs> don't, don't snort Freon out of your neighbor's air conditioning. But it's that same sort of concept, I think, when, when Jesus is speaking to uh, the people, there are things that he didn't address to condemn because there was no need. It was a given. It was an understanding. And if you understood these other things about God and his attributes, and you understood these other things about God and his word, God and his will, then these other things don't really even need discussed. So, we can't narrow down those things too tightly. But... Paul was even aware that there are things that the Bible speaks directly to, and Paul does a very good job of making lists. He has multiple lists of the things that we can't do or shouldn't do. <clears throat> he, he then covers an er- the gray areas and talks about how we should handle those. Um, he, in Romans 14, it, Paul is writing, and it's speaking to extending grace with people with different opinions that uh, arise over non-essentials. So one person wants to hold a, a particular day in some sort of reverence or holy as a holy day. He addresses that. We're, we're to be gracious with them. Um, there are people who are wa- going to abstain from some foods while other people feel free to eat those foods. We need to be understanding the difference between 
what is a prime, what is primary and what is secondary. And when we make our secondary issues the most primary issues, we're going to have issues. Um, <clears throat> well, so what kinds of judgments then can we make? And we're going to look at these, and, we, and I mentioned them already. We're going to look at doctrinal, moral, and heart. So doctrinal beliefs, all beliefs, all beliefs are not equally valid. We, we need to be able to say whether something is biblical or unbiblical. Last week we talked about... Um, choosing your leader and, and, and how, that, how we need to have a good and true leader to follow. And, and therefore, we want to follow Jesus. We talked about following false teachers, how, pe- how some people have chosen to follow false teachers even to their grave. To their own peril, they follow a false teacher. Well, the Bible is plain enough to read and understand as... It pertains to doctrinal points. So, if there's a doctrinal um, discernment that needs to happen, we do that by simply reading the Bible. Now, all things, and and I'll have to say, uh, all things are not equally simple, but there would be some things when you hear of a doctrine that as you're reading, you say, does this weigh? How does this weigh out? Does this make sense? Could Could I imagine this one? And what do you do with those what seem to be competing doctrines? Um, and some of those, it, it would be a lot like that last category we're talking about, where there are some things that are very clear, and there are some things that, okay, good and faithful Christians believe this, good and faithful Christians believe that. Okay, maybe that's a secondary kind of doctrinal issue. But if, if we're talking about major doctrinal issues, I think the Bible's going to be very clear on those, and we need to be able to be very clear on those. For our own spiritual health, as well as the spiritual health of our own community, meaning the church uh, local, um, as well as that for our, how we're leading our family, we need to have the ability to discern doctrinal beliefs. Secondly, we need to be able to discern uh, moral beliefs. In an ever-changing climate where what is sin today is not sin tomorrow, where do you look for what your truth is? And, and if we're really looking to what the popular, uh, what is the popular notion of the community or the nation, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And how many times do we do this? As, you know, and I guess a, a beauty of getting old is that you are seeing things that have changed. Becky and I were talking the other day about how, okay, these are the things that we didn't have to do or we were not confronted with while we were in school. Can't imagine how these kids are putting up with whatever that was the other day and the decisions and the choices they have to make. Um, things are things do rapidly change. But so in this rapidly changing world, where are we going to look? Well, the, the Bible tells us about moral issues which will forever be true no matter what your culture says about it. What is your plumb line? What is your standard? What is your what are we measuring these things by? And I, I, I used to, well, I, I still, I like to give my opinion about a lot of things. My opinion is not worth much if it's only my opinion. And there might be some level of wisdom, there might be some level of whatever, but if you want real truth, we're going to have to base it on the Bible. And it, as that, it, let me tell you what this Bible says, and it will be very helpful for us. And again, even in these moral decisions, there are occasionally 
new advances in technology or new advances in scientific understanding and knowledge and, and practices that we have to struggle with what is morally appropriate here. And, and until maybe you're faced with some of those things, it's not even crossed your mind. Now, now that somehow you get into the middle of that, you're like, oh, let us think about that. Where now I have to struggle with what would be morally um, good and not. And some of those things are not so clear even. And again, there would be maybe faithful believers on both sides of some of these issues. And in such cases, we must pray for clarity and understanding. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not foolishly thinking that all moral decisions are simple and they don't um, take um, energy on our part, ripping at our hearts and, th- and, and, and struggling as we, as we push through these things. Uh, some things will do that, yet some things are very clear, and we need to be able to decide these things. It's, it's a bit like the Mark Twain's uh, quote, who, who said, it's not what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me, it's what I do understand. So it's in those things that we do understand that we should and, and could and are expected to walk through and base our, our discernment over moral issues about what he has made very clear. Secondly, we're to be able to judge the heart. And ultimately, that, that, the ultimate heart issue, you know, and of course somebody dies and dies unexpectedly, you know, the conversation quick, quickly and frequently happens is, well, we don't know the person's heart, and that's probably true. Um, and we don't know, and we don't judge whether a person's saved or not. We've, the Bible puts that into question for us. Us. I, my, my job is to, is to help you um, have a comfort and a, 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 uh, an assurance of your faith and the fact that you are saved and you are his. Yes, that is, all, that is my job. But as, as, a, as an expositor of scripture, the other job I have is to question that. I get both jobs. So out of the group, we're supposed to check ourselves and are we, tru- are we truly following him? So we do have both those issues going, but but uh, a heart issue. It's this. Con- that, this is what this scripture is dealing with. A good person is going to produce good fruit, and we know that without Christ, one cannot please God. So there is no good going to come from the individual that's going to amount to anything in the on judgment day for God without that um, atoning work of Christ. Yet we are to evaluate whether someone's walk matches their talk, whether they, whether what they say, what they say they believe, whether their life aligns with that in some sort of form or fashion. If we can't do this, then the church wouldn't be able to choose her own leaders. If we couldn't do this, the, the, the church would not be able to affirm someone's call to ministry. If we couldn't do this, we couldn't affirm someone's spiritual gifts and send them off to ministry in whatever area. Yet, the Lord does call us to be able to do this. He equips us to do this. And some of these things can be even challenging. Um, I serve on our diocesan council, which is kind of like the church council. It's just in the, for the diocese. And I'm our, a clergy representative from our region. And we're now looking for... Um, candidates to serve in the next round. There'll be people going off and there'll be people coming on. And we're 
we, we have three positions and six people. And we had the discussion of whether it should be a, what does this vote look like? And in church, in church structure that I'm familiar with and the way, uh, if, at the point where we get to a, a, uh, rotating, whether we call it a vestry or a council, it would work like this. There would be people presented in a, um, in a list, whether, and the church would vote on this. That means the church, by this point, they, they're saying yes. The, the church body says yes to what the list already is. And, there, and there, in the discussion of whether it's a popular vote or the kind I just described, there can be hurt feelings. You chose them and not me. Well, as I got to interview a couple of candidates, I wanted to offer this concept that we should all be honored to serve, but if we're not the one chosen, we should be relieved. And, and, and people understood that and believed that. Because I don't want hurt feelings, but we need to understand who it is that's going to be on our team and what kind of gifts they bring. We don't need everybody with the same gifts. We're losing people with particular gifts, and we need to add people with similar gifts that they had in order to, in order to have a same kind of team. Same thing would be true in a local church. And so when, um, the, and, the, and out of our two candidates, which we um, interviewed, we would be blessed to have either one, but it's going to depend on who else comes from the other regions and what kind of gifts they're bringing. So we need to have that ability for discernment and judgment, but there's nothing judgmental in that. There's nothing condemning in that. There's nothing even to say no to the one person. There's nothing condemning in that. This is all good, and we need to understand that. Um, and so the, the charge for us as the church is church stand strong, stand strong and stand against that overwhelming tide of misapplication of, uh, Jesus command to judge not because it's everywhere you turn. And, and there's an expectation of, as, as Christians, uh, because of this misunderstanding, then, and it's misapplied, there's a thing where, there's an expectation that you shouldn't have an opinion on doctrinal beliefs, moral beliefs, or heart issues. And yet, Jesus says, yes, you do. You're supposed to have those things. You're called to make judgments prayerfully, capably, and carefully, full of mercy and full of grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, gracious.